Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. What's up, all you lovely listeners out there? It's great to be back with another episode of After Four, the podcast for InterVarsity alumni. I'm John Steele. Let's get rolling. Hey, if you're a brand new alumni, then you're here right on time. We're halfway through our latest series. How to be the post-college goat. And it's all for you. We're talking about some top skills necessary for thriving in these early days after college. We started by chatting with Paul Tokunaga about what it looks like to get the most out of the decade of your 20s. Last week, we heard from Pastor Steve about some helpful tips for finding the right church post-graduation. And today, we're going to answer the age-old question, what skills do I need to nail my upcoming interview? And we get to hear about it from none other than 2014 Minnesota State alumna, HR extraordinaire, and my very talented and lovely wife, Caitlin Steele. That's right, nepotism is alive and well on this podcast. Today, we're skipping all the extra tomfoolery and diving right in. So grab a pen and a notepad because you're going to want to write some things down in preparation for your next interview. Here's my conversation with Caitlin. This one's for you, alumni. Well, hello there. Hello. Hello from another room. (laughs) For everyone listening, this is a unique experience because as you would have heard in the introduction, I'm interviewing my wife today. (laughs) So Caitlin, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are. My name is Caitlin Steele. I am John's wife. We've been married seven years. Is that right? Eight this summer. Yeah, eight this summer. And we have a daughter, Aurora, who's three, almost four. And I'm currently pregnant with our second daughter, who's due in July. We'll talk later on about what I do in my job. So I won't spoil it yet. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. So typical rhythm that we have on the show. You've listened before once or twice. So just a few times. Yep. You know how it goes. (laughs) The other half are from your mom. (laughs) Yeah. You and my mom. Hopefully the two of you find this information helpful. Well, let's jump right in here. Let's talk a little bit about where did you go to school? What did you study? When did you graduate? We'll start there. I graduated in 2014 from Minnesota State University, Mankato part of their College of Business. So my degree is actually in business management. I have an emphasis in general management and human resource management. And I also have a certificate in nonprofit leadership. So when people ask, I just say business management because that's just a lot. In the words of Michael Scott, somehow you manage. (laughs) Somehow I manage. Yeah. And I got involved with InterVarsity literally my first week on campus. I knew that I wanted to get plugged in. I had met somebody during orientation and her and I were both talking about different groups on campus. I didn't know any of them at the time. And so we said that we would go together and try to find one. Well, we ended up miscommunicating and 
turns out we were talking about two different groups that met in the same building, different floors, different times. So we were both adamant that we were correct. So we compromised, which meant we showed up a half an hour late (laughs) to InterVarsity Large Group. And we didn't realize that we were talking about different groups either. So it wasn't until like after the large group that my friend was like, well, that was really cool. But that wasn't the group that I thought we were going to go see. (laughs) So we ended up there on accident. We had a few other people that we had brought with us. So I think there's four of us. And yeah, we ended up sticking around and got involved. And even a half hour late, we hooked you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That was when I was leading worship too, wasn't it? Yep. The love story began. No, just kidding. (laughs) I was dating somebody else at the time. Which is also funny because I have no recollection of this. (laughs) (laughs) The love story continues. (laughs) Very passionate and meaningful. Well, then aside from your first large group experience that drew you and your friends in for good, any other memory that stands out to you from uh, your time with InterVarsity? Oh, man, I have a lot of memories. One of the things that I remember vividly, my sophomore year, I had a book study that met in my dorm room when we were reading Radical by David Platt relatively new at that time. And then in true college fashion, afterwards, we'd go to the cafeteria for dinner and to watch Wheel of Fortune. (laughs) So (laughs) it was just always humorous. It was just such a like deep bonding moments, food and... Everybody's grandmother's favorite TV show. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) So lots of memories. Our campus went to Cedar Campus for the first time while I was a student. So I got to be part of the inaugural trip. Now it's called Cedar Bay, but it's in the UP of Michigan. We were part of the small group leaders training. And that was just really eye-opening. It was like kind of the first time that I felt like I had been given very practical tips on how to connect with people. And so it was like, yeah, there is strategy to this. We want to have a good experience for your small group and we want to train you on how to do that. I just remember sitting there being like, this is amazing. People are training us on how to do this. Yeah. And I mean, Cedar Campus has been, we've gone back a bunch of different times for chapter focus week. I also went to IVLI there and then full circles this last summer, we actually went for family camp. And so we got to bring our daughter Aurora there too, which was really cool. Still talks about mission again all the time. Can't quite get that right, but always thinks it's fun. Yes. And that year at Cedar with the small group leaders training was also the year that I fell down the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) The infamous falling down the stairs story. Uh, Maybe I'll have to tell that story another time on the podcast, but today's not about me. It's about you. (laughs) (laughs) It's about me. So very meaningful experiences that you got to have with InterVarsity. That's like four out of 4,000 that you could tell. I'm interested to know that us... Falling deeply in love is not one of the memories that you decided to share, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, we can move on from that. Let's advance just a little bit here. As you think about your transition from college to life after college, what was happening for you in that transition experience? Sure. Post-college was both wonderful and equally rough. So John and I got married literally one month after I graduated, but I also ended up in a job that I just didn't like. I worked for Verizon. The company's not bad or anything, but it became clear very early on that it was not a good fit for me. I didn't know how to handle it because it wasn't a situation where I could just up and leave right away. This is my income. You know, we were all still like working to pay off debt and John's fundraising. 
it's not so bad that I just need to be done today, but I'm crying like every day on the way to work. And it was brutal. So we got married in June. I started at Verizon literally the day after our honeymoon and then started applying for jobs in November. So (laughs) made it six months and ended up interviewing with this other company for an HR position. And they basically told me, hey, we really like you. We think you'd be really great at this and we want to offer you this job. And I left the interview just being like, is this really what I want? And just like kept thinking about what they were saying and realized I was basically setting myself up for a very, very similar situation. And so I ended up withdrawing my application. So I ended up changing some of my search criteria more to administrative work and reception roles, thinking, I know that I like this. It gives me space to use some of the skills that I've learned at Verizon without only doing that. I was like, this is a safe place to, you know, kind of start this. And I ended up finding this job posting, literally like three lines. And it was something like commercial general contractor seeks full-time hire for reception and light administrative work, full-time benefits, profit sharing apply here. And that was literally all I knew. So I was like, all right, let's do it. So I ended up applying there and got an interview and I went to the interview and afterwards I remember texting you and saying something about like, this is exactly how an interview should feel. It was just a really good fit and comfortable interview, which most people don't ever say. Wow. And this is just the first, you know, six or seven months post-graduation that all of this is happening. (laughs) So then you told us this job that you jumped into, you started in reception, office manager kind of stuff. What has the evolution of your role looked like over the course of these seven and a half years or so? I started out doing reception, administrative work. I started doing some accounting work. I helped create some systems so that we could process invoices electronically. I also started picking up some of the property management. But now my role has really transitioned to human resources. I'm basically a human resource generalist for the company, administrative work for our construction projects, and then also marketing. Those are like the big things. So a lot of different facets to your role. Since you are an HR generalist for the company that you work for, it feels like you have some knowledge and experience that would be really beneficial for somebody that's coming out of college, going into the workforce. And I recognize that a lot of people have jobs during college. So getting a job isn't necessarily a new thing, but I'm guessing that for most people coming out of college, they are thinking more along the lines of sort of career trajectory work and not just... I got to pay for college work. So some things that I'm hoping that we can talk about here for the rest of our time, writing a solid resume, filling out an application like you actually know what you're talking about, (laughs) skills for a great interview. So let's start with a resume. What are some best practices in your experience for putting together a solid resume? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is just brainstorming. How do you spend your time? You're probably in school. Maybe you've had some sort of side job. You're involved with InterVarsity. Maybe you're floor counsel or something like that at your school. Just getting all of that written down. I think it's really easy to forget some of the things that we do. So I recommend having a master resume and then you can pull pieces to make a more specific resume for a specific job. The other thing is, you know that you have skills. 
But sometimes it's hard to highlight that. So once you have some jobs in mind, even if it's not a specific job posting, just write down what are the skills that I think this position would utilize regularly. And then if you have a job description, review that too. And then try to think through like, where have I used these skills? You know, you may not have direct experience doing that exact same thing in the same context because, hello, this is your first career job. (laughs) But maybe if you're going into an accounting role, you've been a treasurer for InterVarsity. Maybe you've built a system for some other job. So just trying to break out the skills and not so much the context around it so that you can highlight that you have some knowledge base to pull from and that you're willing to learn. The other big thing that I tell people is to be really specific and use metrics on your resume. For example, I write resumes for our staff at work, and it's really different to say we're a commercial construction company, which is true. But when I say, oh, we're a $35 million commercial construction company, that changes things. We're not this small mom and pop shop, even though we're a family owned small business, that volume changes that. Another example, I manage commercial properties. That is very generic. I manage five commercial properties, gives a little more emphasis. But the reality is I have 38 tenants and 60,000 square feet. Now you're getting a full picture of what I do and how much of my time that takes up, what skills I have to have. And when you're looking for an entry-level position, nobody's expecting you to have that kind of crazy experience. I remember putting on my first resume that I worked as a student helper in a dorm building. And I was in charge of the study book campaign and rewarding people for studying and buying prizes to give out. You know, I just mentioned like how big my budget was and who I reported to and just some basic things like that. But even that was showing that I know how to have a budget and I created this campaign, even though it wasn't all that extravagant. It was something that I had done on my own with supervision as well. So... Yeah, those kind of transferable skills, being able to give a number or give some boundaries to it to really showcase what you've done is really important. A couple of things that I'm hearing here have a master resume, which I've never heard before. That's where you'd put your your bow staff skills, your computer hacking skills, your <laughs> gun check skills. Exactly. Something else that stands out to me is you're talking about where are the places that you have done these different things. The way that you talk about it makes me think of the way that I would teach students to do network mapping or a prayer map. Think about the places that you spend your time and who are the people that you interact with there. And it's sort of the same thing. Whether it's your normal week now or go back over the last you know, year or two of your life and think about where are the places that you spent time and what were the skills that you needed to give that time in those places. It's almost like this skill set mapping that you can then put down on this master resume and then pull the ones that you need for a specific resume. And then also that you should make those as specific as possible. Attach meaningful numbers so it gives scope. So then let's move forward just a little bit here. Let's talk about the application itself. How do you fill out an application in a way that is attractive to the person that's reading it? There's kind of two different types of applications. One is almost a replacement of a resume. Maybe they'll ask what you got paid somewhere, why you left, you know, if there's gaps in your resume, what happened there. And then the other is an application that's asking more like situational questions. It's not about where you worked. It's about maybe the decisions that you'll make if you were to be at this place. So when it comes to the resume type, I think being honest is important. But 
you had a disagreement with a previous employer, you want to be very careful about how you word that. If you had to read what you wrote to that previous employer, would it be accurate and fair? It's okay to have disagreements. It's okay to want something different for yourself, but you are being graded on how you present it to the potential future employer. Right. Defamation doesn't look good on anybody. Right. And depending on the size of town that you're coming from, <laughs> like, it's going to come right back at you. <laughs> especially if you're staying in the same industry, your potential future boss might know your old boss that you're talking smack about. So be aware of those things. On the other side, the personality assessment. Again, I recommend having read through the job description, thinking through the skills that you think that this position would need. If you know somebody who does a job like that, asking that person what skills they're using, what's really important to them and focusing on those things. Just really quickly, I want to talk about tone in your application. Questions are asked fairly pointedly about your skill sets, your abilities, your experiences. Let me just say, I recently applied for a job. You helped me with the application. And I'll just put it that my tone was not the most attractive or like putting my best foot forward in my first crack at this application. And so it seems to me that there is a proper tone to have when you're writing these things. Yeah, tone is really important. In particular in writing, if you are not confident, it will be obvious. And that's a little tricky when you're looking for an entry-level position. You know, maybe you're fresh out of college going, I don't think I know anything. That's not true. You do know a lot of things. And maybe that's, you know, I don't have this specific real-world example, but I led a group through this class project, being fluent in other languages or... I got all A's in my business law class or whatever it is. Yes, it's confidence, but it's also sharing facts. It's not, oh, I'm the best person in the world. It's my transcript will tell you that I got all A's in my business law classes. State facts and share the metrics that will encourage confidence. Yeah, it's important to lead with confidence. This is not a place to feel ashamed of the things that you're actually good at and to share those freely. I remember when I was doing my resume, I'm somebody that wants to call out all the places that I haven't achieved before somebody else can, just so that I can show my own self-awareness, but it does not come across as confident and capable. So leading with confidence is a good approach to take. If you know any Enneagram threes, they are great people to ask because they are achievers and they love being excited about accomplishments. They'll tell you how to highlight things so that it seems like more of an accomplishment, you know, not exaggerating, but to state it in a way that it is an accomplishment and not just some other thing that you did on a random Tuesday. Yeah, this is a place where as long as you're staying within the realm of truth, that a little bit of flair can be useful for telling the story. Yeah, that flair is important. You may be one of 20 resumes that are being looked at. You may be one of 500. You want to be truthful. This is not made up flair, but you need to stand out as well. Let's talk about the interview, but just for the sake of people hearing some of the funny things that can happen, I want you to tell the story of your interview. You're talking about my shoes? Yes. Tell us about your shoes going into the interview. Oh, man. So prior to this, I worked at Verizon and you could wear whatever you wanted every day because nobody could see you because you're on the phone. 
And I looked up this company and I was like, I should dress up. So I was like, all right, I pull up my church clothes. That's the middle of winter. I was like, I'm not going to wear snow boots, but I only have so many options. So I decided I was going to wear these fashionable boots. And the day of the interview, I remembered that the sole of the shoe had cracked down the middle and was literally open to the elements. So again, it's December in Minnesota. So there's certainly snow. And these are the shoes that are my best option. But I was very paranoid that I was going to sit in this interview with wet socks and they were just going to smell and like none of this is going to go well if I'm concerned about wet socks. So I ended up putting a bag over my sock and then putting my foot in my boot. And by bag, you mean like a Walmart bag? Uh, I think I use a Ziploc, but yeah, same <laughs> <Okay>. concept, <laughs> like a gallon Ziploc bag because I wanted to keep the water out, but I didn't want crinkling every that time I sense. walk. If your boots break, good fallback plan. That's something that could really throw you for a loop right before going into an interview. And so even if something as ridiculous as your footwear is not going to be watertight and you have to put a bag on your shoe, not on your shoe, you have to put a bag <laughs> on your sock inside of your shoe, you can still nail the interview. So let's talk about some skills that will help you in these moments where your shoes are falling apart, but you still want to crush the interview. What are some things that we can do to be a great interviewee? Yeah. Preparation is going to be the number one thing that you can do. First, literally Google common interview questions, read the question out loud and try to answer out loud. Most of us haven't heard ourselves talk for a long time answering questions until that moment. And it's better to have that moment be at home than in an interview. It also will help you practice a calm voice, not talking too fast, telling you if you ramble. One of the things that taught me is that when I didn't know words, I would just uh, 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 nonstop until I could think of it. And it was just really annoying when I heard it. And so I made a conscious effort that if I couldn't think of a word, I was just going to pause, give myself time to think of it, and then just continue on instead of trying to sputter through it. The other thing I highly recommend is to bring notes for yourself. I like to write down some talking points for myself. I write down things that I want to make sure that I share about myself, skills that I have, you know, if there's relevant experience, as well as just like questions I have for the interviewer. To the interviewer, it just shows them that you're prepared. And to you, it's comforting. So I keep a copy of my resume and I keep my notes and my talking points as well as my questions. One of the things that I've found is that you don't always know what questions to ask. Maybe they've covered all these things that you would have asked about. And so a good thing to do is to have looked at their website or looked on social media and find something interesting that's a talking point that's maybe not a question, but, you know, hey, I saw that you're doing this project in this town. Do you work that far away from here often? Or do you do a lot of projects like this? It can just take it from strictly business to learning maybe some of the culture of the company or some of the unspoken things that go on are often the things you can get when you pick and choose from the website, from social media to bring up if you don't have any questions. Yeah. As you said, actual preparation and preparation that as much as possible mimics an actual interview just so that you don't feel like you're going into it just totally cold. You know, research is great. Do lots of research, but actually practice being in that situation. 
any other skills that you would recommend before we move forward here? I also recommend sharing a story that highlights a skill. For example, someone that I interviewed once, she could have just said, oh, I'm really detail-oriented. And we've all heard that. It's a big old yawn fest. Nobody really knows what it means. And what she told me was that my previous boss knew that I was detail-oriented. And so one of the jobs that I did was I took all of our forms that were on paper. They literally had a binder of paper copies of forms and they would just print more. And she digitized every single one, updated it with HIPAA healthcare privacy language and changed all of the forms because they all said he or him. And she changed every single one so that it had he slash she on every single form. That was two and a half years ago. I still know this story and I understand her being detail oriented very differently. There's a lot that a story can tell you that just descriptors can't. And so trying to find something that is clear and succinct to highlight a skill is really a good idea. So Caitlin, I think that we've covered a lot of really helpful stuff here, but one last question, is there anything that we haven't touched on a piece of advice that you would give to a new alum that's entering the job market right now? What would you say to them? One of the things coming out of college is that people think that they need to be their parents immediately, like in terms of success and having this great career and a house and all this stuff. And it's okay to want those things, but to have a healthy dose of understanding that it takes time to get there. Your parents have worked hard to get where they are. So you're not going to instantly enter this lifestyle or salary of somebody who's been in their career for 20 or 30 years. I actually just today was talking to my coworker, Anna, and her and her mom had been talking about their first house. And her mom was like, oh, that house was so great. It was so tiny that I could vacuum the entire house from one outlet. I just love that image of this small house, one outlet, and you just vacuum literally everything. You're going to have kind of stepping stones. Your career path may shift a little bit and that's okay. The same thing has happened to your parents and there will be ebbs and flows with your career. And then my other piece of advice, which I think is even more important, is to pay off your debt. Obviously, that is much easier said than done. I know that that's what a lot of people want to do. And the burden of school loans is very heavy. I'm well aware of what all the stats say about how unaffordable college is compared to when our parents were there. And I recognize that I came from a place of privilege of having some of my schooling paid for, having some inheritance from my grandpa passing away that helped pay for my education and having a program where I could work during school because not everybody has that either. But I also married someone who had a lot of loans, (laughs) what, 45,000? Probably closer to 55 with interest by the time we had paid it all off. We were able to pay that off in two and a half years, but it's been five years since we had paid that off. And we still look back at least monthly, if not weekly, and we have seen how it has drastically changed the trajectory of our life. I don't say that to diminish anyone who wishes that for themselves and is struggling or has chosen a different path for themselves. I just say that because we very much value a much more stress-free financial life. 
there's just a lot of freedom that comes from being able to take a career move or have a kid without crippling anxiety or crazy stress or feeling locked into a housing situation or a job because of loans. And in the grand scheme of things, everyone kind of expects you to do all the cheapskate stuff when you're right out of college. So just just embrace it. <laughs> yep. It's totally okay. Let the little old ladies from church invite you over for lunch and you get a free lunch. Heck and yeah. at the end of the day, I want you to be able to plan for your future and to not have that stress and anxiety. That's been huge for us. That's for sure. And actually in a couple of weeks here, we're going to have a couple of episodes that are all related to how to manage your finances out of college. So stay tuned. Thanks for the early segue, Caitlin. <laughs> I'm here for it. It's going to be great. It won't be you and me talking about it. No, no, no. I don't want to get people's hopes up. I know they've really loved hearing from you. So, but maybe you'll be back for another conversation. Only if you'll invite me. Well, it only took a year and a half to get you here this time. So we'll see you in 2025 or so. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to get our schedules to work when we can be in the same room. And we're still not even in the same room. The miracle is that our child stayed asleep this whole time. Thank you, Caitlin, for joining us for this conversation. Let me just say, I have benefited greatly from all of this exact advice. I have the job that I have now, at least in part, and I would say probably in large part because of Caitlin's help giving me this exact advice in real life. So I can attest to this being useful and beneficial. So thanks a lot for joining us, Caitlin. Yes, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> I wanted to be able to say something on this episode that I wouldn't say to anybody else. So I'm glad that's what you chose. Okay. I know I already said this and I'm biased, but this is seriously great advice. I'd probably be working at GameStop today if it weren't for Caitlin's extremely helpful input during my last application and interview process. Granted, she also would have helped me nail that interview, and I think I might actually be good at that job, but that's beside the point. Taking time to translate your experiences into transferable skills, leading with confidence even though you know there are gaps in your abilities, and taking time to prepare even with Googled interview questions are all invaluable steps toward making yourself stand out as the right candidate for the job you're pursuing. Thanks again for the advice, Caitlin. There's a bunch of new alumni who are about to rock their interviews because of you. Speaking of which, if you put any of these skills to use, or if you just have a great interview story of your own, jump onto our SpeakPipe service and let us know about it. We want to hear from you. You can find it in the show notes. All right, that's a wrap for this week, but come on back next time as we move past the interview and into topics like, how can I be a great employee after my interview? And how do I get the most out of my job experience? It's going to be great. I'm excited to meet up again next week. So if you haven't already, make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast platform, turn on notifications, and share with your friends. Until next time, I'll see you in the after, alumni. <laughs>